thank you for having me. Thanks to Derek for putting on a great event. I have a couple disclaimers before I start. So I have not given a speech in like five years and I've always been anxious about giving speeches. So my heart's beating. Last time, thank you. I'm off to a great start. I remember the, I was trying to do my yogic breathing at Anarchapulco one year and I didn't realize the mic was right in my face. So every exhale, I was just like blasting the room. So I'm not gonna do that right now, but I just wanna say everything I'm about to talk about, uh, I'm not assuming it necessarily applies to you as an individual. So if I'm saying something that you're like, oh, that she doesn't know what she, like maybe I don't. I don't know you. I don't know if this is gonna resonate. I don't know if it applies to you. This has been something that's come up a lot in my own personal practice after all these years of the work I've been doing, it's something that's become really essential to me and it's very much still a practice for me. So I don't think I'm an expert, I just think it's really important that as human beings and as people who really wanna change the world in a very monumental way, I think this is gonna be key. So I wanna start, is my PowerPoint up by any chance? Do I see, am I missing it? Yeah, that, wait, okay, there we go, cool. So, oh and I can control it from here, right? Yes? Do I? Arrows. Arrows, cool, okay. Bad vibes only, I wanna do a little exercise real quickly. So if everyone will join me, well I'm not gonna close my eyes, but you guys can close your eyes. And just start by taking a deep inhale through your nose, feeling the air brush across the back of your throat and into your lungs, into your belly. Then exhale it out. And still with your eyes closed, I invite you to think of a news story, maybe in the last few years, just at any point in your life that really upset you. Like it really hit you hard. You saw it and it affected you. And just think about the details of that story and why it upset you so much. We don't have to go crazy with it. We don't have to remember everything. Just remember it. And as these details come up, just pause and notice how you feel. Maybe it's anxious, maybe it's angry, maybe it's depressed, maybe it's numb. It could be anything. There's no right answer. There's no right way to do this. But just notice what you feel and take a moment and feel where you feel it in your body. It's usually the chest for me, sometimes my stomach, sometimes my throat. It could be anywhere. It could be your big toe. It doesn't matter. Just a matter of getting present with what you feel. And notice what it feels like. For me, it's usually my heart is gripped. My chest is tight. It feels like sometimes a boulder is crushing it and it's tearing my ribs apart when it's a really bad story, you know. And we're just gonna pause there. Just gonna leave it at that for now. So the title of my talk is Stop Paying Attention. A disclaimer about that is I titled it before I actually wrote the whole thing. I knew where I wanted to go. It actually turned into a bit more, but it sounds a little ridiculous, right? Like we're all here, we care about the truth. We're aware of what's going on in the world. So it seems counterintuitive, especially for me, which I'm gonna get to, to say that you should just stop paying attention. Why would you? So I started off as a very enthusiastic Barack Obama supporter. This is like a lifetime ago, but I loved him. I thought he was the second coming of Abraham Lincoln and John F. Kennedy put together. This is a very long time ago. And what changed my mind was the news. I started paying attention. I started looking at his policies and his broken promises, and that really radicalized me. That's me blowtorching my Obama shirt that I'm wearing in the first picture. And uh, it, it really happened, and I have the news to thank for it. And it becomes kind of extra ridiculous for me to say you shouldn't pay attention to the news because as Derek mentioned, I used to effectively run the anti-media. I was directly reporting on the news. I was engaged in it every single day. I have a screenshot of one of Derek's articles up there. And it was one of the best times in my life. 
it was difficult and it was stressful, but it was my dream job. I got to talk about things that mattered to me and raise awareness about them and be directly engaged. And as Derek also mentioned, we were banned in 2018. So I am no longer a journalist. I still make my YouTube videos, but I, am, I don't do that. I'm not engaged in the news every single day. But again, why would I be saying you shouldn't pay attention? I wanna clarify, it's really important to be informed. There's a reason the establishment and the ruling class and the media and politicians are so concerned about controlling information. They know, they know that it's empowerment. They know that it serves as a vehicle for breaking away. So again, why would I say you shouldn't pay attention? I wanna bring attention actually to the terms that are often used when you talk about following the news. So there's following the news. You're paying attention to the news. You're consuming the news. And on their own, these are not terrible phrases. They're not inherently bad. But for me, when you put them in the context of the news, it starts to feel a little draining. It starts to feel like something is being taken from you or you're bringing in something so toxic. And I wanna come back to people who are not yet broken away from the system. Not come back to them, but bring them up. Here we have a Trump supporter on the left and we have a Trump hater on the right. The definition of consume, according to Cambridge, is to use fuel, energy, time, or a product, especially in large amounts. For me, that does not sound great when I'm looking at all the evil in the world. And both of these factions would swear to you, above all else, that they know what's going on. They pay attention. They have the facts. They know. But that has not helped them, really. I mean, I don't think they have the answers. I don't think they have the facts. But they are consumed. There's a, a very strong sense of, like, they're they're not quite regulated emotionally. There's, there's some dysregulation going on there, right? Like, <laughs> they're having a hard time, probably. And I put one in the middle because this is actually just recently, because again, I really think current events are important. And I had tweeted something about Trump's involvement in Yemen, because all the Trump supporters were going off about, oh, he was a peace president, and Biden would do this, but Trump never would. So I just tweeted something like very verifiable information, and that was the reply I got, which was, uh, Trump did no such thing, lying piece of shit. So instead of just looking it up, like very easily, this person did not have the ability to pause. He just had to react to me. He was so angry that I insulted his Messiah. He had to insult me. And it's embarrassing for him. I mean, it's, you know, I don't like receiving comments like that, but I can understand like, okay, well, he just, he doesn't know. And what happens when people who are still very tied into the system get that hyper fixation on the news and what's going on in the world? They tend to have big emotions about it. And usually their solution is to demand that the government do something about it. They don't like how they feel, so the government needs to make them feel better. I don't wanna feel afraid, I don't wanna feel angry. So the government needs to fix it. You can look at COVID policies, you can look at the war on terror. There's a very clear emotional element here of reactivity and of a discomfort with feeling your feelings. And so the solution is somebody needs to take that away from me. And maybe we don't do that. I think most of us here are not asking the government to solve our problems, I think, you know, I don't know everybody here, but it's probably like less likely than at a, a Biden convention or something or rally if anyone goes. But what I want to get to is that often when people wake up, I don't love the term, but it's for the sake of conversation and the speech, let's call it waking up. There tends to often be what follows is a fixation on what's really going on, on finding the truth, on going down the rabbit holes, on figuring it out. I'm not saying that's not important, but I think, sorry, this slide's a little messed up but it can lead to a bit of fixation. And I would even say hyperfixation. I have Charlie here from Always Sunny. I'm sure you guys know the meme. But there's all kinds of rabbit holes. We've got the Jesuits, we've got the royal family, the Jews and Klaus Schwab and the World Health Organization and 
false flags. I mean, you take your pick. I'm sure there's a thousand here I haven't listed, but there's always something else for us to investigate and to fixate on and to figure out. And that leads us to what I see a lot in independent media, which is fear-mongering. And whether they're authentic or not, maybe they really believe it, they really are activated, and they believe everybody needs to know this right now, and it's imperative that you pay attention and get really freaked out about it. I'm not saying that's not the case always. I think also it's inauthentic, and it's to get clicks. But one of the reasons we reject the mainstream media is the fear-mongering because we watch the way that they pit people against each other and they fear monger and sensationalize about the other side and how dangerous it is and usually how you need to vote for more government to fix it. And that's also often the case in independent media because there are a lot of outlets that are still very tied into the left-right dichotomy. But there's also just a general sense of like, oh my God, the government's gonna do this and they're gonna do that. We're gonna lose our freedom and you gotta pay attention. And it's, it's very emotional. And my point here is not to say emotions are bad, I'm gonna get to that, but I, at some points I will be reading off my PowerPoint just to make sure I'm not missing anything, but we have big reactions to that because it is really scary. The things the government does are horrifying and they're scary and I am afraid of losing more liberty. I think it's anyone who's being honest, there is fear there. So it's not, it's not that there's something wrong with that, but I think that what happens is we often start to feel superior to the people who still buy into the fear mongering in the mainstream. Like, I know better than that. They don't know anything, I know the truth. But then we get caught in our feelings around the truth, in that reactivity of like, I understand what ha what's happening and it's horrible and it's awful and I'm caught. And that happens quite a lot. And when we're caught and when we're angry and when we're fearful, it's easy to fall into that us versus them programming, that divide and conquer. And yeah, maybe we view it as us versus the government and us versus the people who support the government, but it's the same dynamic, all the same. We're othering people. And yeah, maybe, maybe they're confused and maybe they're calling for, for things that are not helpful, but we're still caught and we're still engaging in divide and conquer. <laughs> so to reiterate, it is important to pay attention. My point here, I, my talk has really evolved since what I started with. So the point isn't that you should just bury your head in the sand and not pay attention and ignore history and ignore current events. It is vital to understand how the system works and how the ruling class operates. The point is to say that it would be very helpful, and it has been for me, and again, I can't speak for you, I don't know all of you individually, but. I think there is a benefit to starting to pay attention to our reactions about what's going on because it is very high stakes. It is very stressful. And I know that we have probably less propagandized information than the people that, you know, it feels good to laugh at. I'm not gonna lie, like it's, there's some really good memes about how indoctrinated people are and they are fun to enjoy. So I know it happens, but it, that's our ego, right? It's like, ha ha, I know better and I know the truth, but they don't know and they don't know as well as I do. And ego itself even isn't bad, we're all human. Like we all have egos. I'm not even saying like you have to kill your ego. Like maybe get to know it, start paying attention to it. But the point here isn't really like, it's not about fake versus real news or propagandized versus free. Because when you strip all that away, we are all still human. And whether we think we know better or not, we're all having certain reactive emotions. We're anxious, we're depressed, we're frustrated, we're resentful. When you strip the rest away, we're all still human. We are no better than anyone else. We're still having reactions. And the point also isn't to say that not having reactions is better, which I will get to. So freedom and feelings. I wanna talk about this in particular because usually I think people who are very interested in getting to the bottom of things, in getting to the truth, in figuring out all the facts, it's, it's in service of being free. There's a belief that we can figure out everything that's going on we can hold them accountable, we can overthrow them, we can regain our freedom. 
And that may or may not be true. I like to believe that it's true because I used to run the anti-media and it really mattered to me and it still matters to me. And I still use current events in my videos and what I talk about. However, when we get fixated on this, when we go down these rabbit holes, the nervous system is activated just like mine is right now. There's a gripping. There's a, like a constant engagement and reactivity. And when you feel into that, you can usually feel the heartbeat getting faster. You can feel some gripping in your body. Again, that's not bad, but it is something to pay attention to. And when our feelings run the show like that, when we are caught in that, and when there's always, sorry, I had to look at my PowerPoint, and when there's always a new current event, they never, like the nervous system, the limbic system, they don't relax. We're in a state of constant activation, much like the people who are watching CNN and Fox News and freaking out about it and really upset. And it becomes this vicious, it, it, it can become, I don't want to speak in absolutes, but it can become a vicious cycle where we end up more attached to our outrage and more attached to knowing the truth than really being free. And when we're caught in this kind of emotional reactivity and it's running the show, we're not really free. That's been my experience. I can have all the cognitive understanding of freedom and anarchism and all the things, but if I'm still reacting to it in that way, I'm, tr I'm not free in my body. I'm not free in my heart. I'm not free in my spirit. And I'm very familiar with this reactivity, I, I tell you. So what is the point? I don't know if anyone watches The White Lotus. I love Tanya. I had to fit her into my slide. But this is an event about solutions, and I'm just sitting here talking about all the problems, even with the people who know the truth and are wide awake. And uh, I want to go to a checkpoint here because I understand I am, I am pinpointing a lot of issues right now. It is important to be aware. And our reactions to the system are healthy. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them. It is completely normal to look at what's going on in the world and look at the way these systems are structured and be sickened and be angry and be depressed and feel hopeless and resentful and all the things. Whatever you're feeling, it's valid. There's a, a very low chance it's invalid. Any feeling is valid. But where does that leave us? Because of being informed, which is very important, but then being angry about it causes us to suffer and we're caught in this, this cycle of reactivity and nervous system activation. Like, what do we do? What is the path forward? How do we get to the truth if it causes us so much pain to feel it and we're hooked into it? And honestly, by engaging in the truth and engaging in the news, we're inextricably linked to the system. If we're getting jerked around by every news cycle item, by every detail we learn, how is that helpful? We're still enslaved to the system in its own way. So before I go any further on solutions, what is truth? If we're here, there's a good chance we care about it. It matters. And for me, what has been revealed to me, what has emerged in all these years of, quote, paying attention and caring about these things, is that whatever the issue that is causing all this suffering in societies and civilizations in the world, I have some here, you can check the PowerPoint, whether it's Epstein or CIA or COVID, whatever it is, the government is usually somehow involved. Like, they're either doing it themselves, people who work for the government, the government is just this nebulous term for all these people who believe in the authority and work for it, but they're either involved or they're facilitating it or allowing it. And this has been the case for as long as government has existed, as far as I can tell. And this is the authority that allows so much injustice and so much oppression to be implemented. And now I'm going to pause and feel my feelings because I want to elaborate on this, but I already have a video I made about it and I get really nervous when people watch my videos. So I'm just going to feel my feelings here and you guys can watch the video. It's from one of, it's from my most recent video. So have at it when it's ready to go.
Whether it's democratic Israel abusing people, the American Republic killing people domestically and abroad, the Russian oligarchy doing the same, socialist governments, communist governments, monarchies, theocracies, dictatorships, and everything in between, all states in all of human history and today depend on their monopoly on violence or the threat of it to assert, claim, and secure your obedience to their imagined authority and to fund their regimes. Without organized violence or the threat of it and people who believe in its legitimacy, they can't actually force anyone to do anything. And this includes governments that claim to be representative. Regardless of the type of government, corruption and abuse inevitably occur because the state only exists through theft and violence, the perceived right to steal and kill that none of us actually have. Not the people the state claims to serve and represent or the people who claim to have authority through the government. If people don't have a moral right to initiate violence, people can't delegate that right to other people claiming to represent them in the form of government. Despite what actual anti-Semites believe, the Israeli government's brutality doesn't occur because it's run by Jews. It occurs because you can't have government without violent authority, which attracts sick people who get off on ruling over and hurting others. This inherent violence allowed communists to kill millions and fascists to slaughter Jews and others deemed a threat. Likewise, Zionist ideology, which is not synonymous with Judaism as a whole, would be toothless without the institution of statism to enforce its objectives. So would any other religious ideology. And belief in government and all its legitimacy, fanaticism, and rituals is a religion in itself where people worship at the altar of violence, authority, and control. Whatever your stance on Israel and Palestine, if you truly oppose violence against innocent people, you must reject the legitimacy of all government. The biggest perpetrator of the worst atrocities in history. There is no mass murderer more prolific than the state. Or rather, the people who hallucinated to have legitimate authority and those who believe they're acting righteously with their uniforms, badges, and guns to enact the whims of politicians and government officials who scribble words on paper or make declarations and deem their brutality legal, moral, or both. The vast majority of human relationships are peaceful and voluntary. Unlike the inherently non-consensual nature of government, I forgot to mention that's clipped from a video about Israel and Palestine. So like the excessive references to Zionism in Israel, it's because it was, it, that was the main point of a, of a bigger video. So moving on. So, oh, do I, am I, can I go back there? How do we get back to the PowerPoint? Oh, there we go. Cool. Just to stress it a little bit more, I wanted to cite the Dow because there's a lot of great commentary on government and rulers in that ancient book. And I, I don't know if ancient story term. I'm not exactly sure how old it is. It's a very old book. And I, I'm not going to claim that the person who wrote it was an anarchist. I, I actually don't think they were because they still spoke of legitimate rulers. But they described the underlying energy and dynamic of the state very well. So the more laws and restrictions there are, the poorer people become. The more rules and regulations, the more thieves and robbers. Why are the people starving? Because the rulers eat up the money in taxes. Therefore, the people are starving. Why are the people rebellious? Because the rulers interfere too much, therefore the people are rebellious. When the government is quite unobtrusive, people are indeed pure. When the government is quite prying, people are indeed conniving. So this is, I mean, to me, this is very insightful for such a long time ago. Now I can get to solutions. So when I post videos like that, a common reply I get is, you are so negative, just like my Tanya meme. And people view it as like, I'm just complaining. I want to clarify, I think that it's actually an imperative solution. We will not have change unless people start to recognize the state for what it is, unless they start seeing it as organized violence and start to reject that as some peaceful way to organize society. And I, thank you. <laughs> this is something I hammer home probably in every video I make, at least in the last several years. So I have a Larkin Rose quote here. I'm sure many of you know who he is. 
and this one's pretty well known, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna say it because it's, it's exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not scared of the Maos and the Stalins and the Hitlers. I'm scared of the thousands or millions of people that hallucinate them to be authority and so do their bidding and pay for their empires and carry out their orders. I don't care if there's one loony with a stupid mustache. He's not a threat if the people do not believe in authority. So I think there's really something to promoting this shift in perception about the state. I don't think that we will have the change we want if that doesn't happen. However, now I get to talk about feeling your feelings, which is a very cliche thing to say. I know that, but I, it's just, it's what it is. I don't know how else to say it. So when we're tied to current events and the truth, we're also tied into how we react, which I already touched on a bit whether we're aware of it or not, because for years I was not aware of it. I was just seeing something in the news and I was like, I'm gonna make a video about this, I'm so mad. And if you look at my older videos, my face is like gnarled and mangled and I'm just like screaming at the camera. And I mean, that's fine. I, I didn't know as much as I do now and I still know very little, but given what I see as the truth about the government, the nature of the state, which is persistent no matter the current event, like insert any news story that's upsetting, Again, as I already said, like the government is usually involved or permitting it or somehow making it happen. And so for me, something, especially after losing anti-media, something that has become important to me is checking in with my body. And when I check in with my body, when I'm on Telegram or I'm on Twitter, oh my God, I'm so gripped, I'm so activated, my heart is beating, I have no peace. And so after many times of doing that and checking in, especially at a, this point in my personal life, my response was, I need to check out a little bit. I don't need to know every single detail of the news cycle. And I still think it's really important. I put these things in my videos. Again, it matters. And I also don't, you may not be as sensitive as I am. Like you may not have the same somatic response when you're, you're scrolling your post, but there's a good chance that there's something there. But again, just because I have chosen not to pay attention to every detail doesn't mean that that's right for you. Maybe you love getting into the details and it's really fascinating to you and it gets you motivated and inspires you to do more. Awesome, then you should keep doing that. I'm not here to tell you not to do what feels right to you. But in either case, whether you're more like me and you're like, ah, like it just, your nervous system is really fraying at the edges when you're constantly paying attention, or if it's just interesting to you and you wanna know more, in either case, I think it's very valuable to start paying attention to what comes up when we are engaged in that way. And before I go any further, I wanna talk about something else that is close to my heart. Because I think in this growing conscious spiritual community that has really, really started growing at an exp exponential rate in the last few years, there tends to be this mentality of like, well, just let it go, get rid of it, let it go. And it's, to me, a rejection of self. And of course the goal is to let it go. But I think that when you put that agenda on it, you're, you're just rejecting, it, we're not our feelings, right? Like we can identify with our feelings, but regardless, they are a part of us. They are coming up within us. And when you say that you have to get rid of them, you're rejecting yourself. And to me, it's also a reflection of the status mentality. And I want to use the war on drugs as an example because the whole idea was like, well, drugs are bad and we have to get rid of them. So we banned them. We banned them. The government banned them. It was supposed to make everything better and everyone was going to be safe. But what happened? The drugs just went underground and now the markets are, they're black markets and they don't have any accountability and the drugs are tainted and they're more harmful. And there are still drugs everywhere. And to me, that's what suppressing my feelings feels like. They don't go away. We just shove them down and they start popping up in ways that are way outside of our consciousness. And it's very difficult to even recognize. And phrases like master your mind and control your thoughts, again, that's such an authoritarian mentality. You have to do this, you have to be in control, you have to master these things. I have one more example, I just couldn't stop because I, I, I'm so into this stuff, but 
So I, I have done a, a yoga teacher training. I would not call myself a teacher. I don't teach. And you don't have to be a yoga, a yoga teacher to know this, but if you jam yourself into poses and you don't listen to your body, you will injure yourself eventually. If you get fixated on like, I gotta go deeper, I gotta get my chest on my thighs and down at my feet, you're probably gonna strain yourself. Where paradoxically, if you actually listen to your body and you stop when it tells you to stop and you're gentle and kind with it, you actually get more flexibility. And to me, that, that goes hand in hand with feeling your feelings. And it is very human to want to disconnect from these feelings. It's very unpleasant to feel these things. I don't like feeling anxious. I don't like feeling activated. I don't like feeling hopeless or afraid or angry or whatever it is. They're very human emotions, and it's just as human to be like, no, I don't think so. I don't, I'm not going to deal with that right now. I want to go do something else. I'm going to pay attention to something else. But it fuels our reactivity in how we show up in the world. If we're not conscious of what is going on in our bodies and in our emotions, we put that back out in the world. And I'm a perfect example. Like I mentioned in my old videos, I had zero awareness of what I was feeling, but I was definitely feeling. And I was vomiting it out into the world. And some people like that. That's, they got a lot of clicks, but it doesn't feel good. Like when I, I can't even watch those old videos because I see how much I was suffering. I should probably hold space for that. I should start paying attention to my old videos and building compassion. But I want to mention Tara Brock. I'm sure some of you have heard of her. Um, I have adapted RAIN for life. It's really for life, but I think it really applies to what I'm talking about, about feeling your feelings and being present with them. So she is not an anarchist. It's an extra spicy little challenge to listen to her because she says things where I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> and yet she helps me so much when I listen. She's like a therapist, Buddhist, wonderful spiritual teacher. But this practice, it's a Buddhist-inspired practice. It's called RAIN. And I'm not going to like walk you guys through it. You can find her meditations online. But I just want to go through the steps of it, which is first to just recognize what you're feeling. So if you're paying attention to a news story, it's important to recognize, like, ooh, this is stressing me out. Like, I feel really fearful about this. I feel really angry. Just recognize it. And then it sounds really easy, but it's actually very hard. Just allow it. Let it be there. Instead of, I don't want to feel this way. What can I do to not feel this way? How do I fix this? It just becomes a practice in getting to know yourself with curiosity. And then you investigate. Where is it in my body? What does it feel like? Like I kind of touched on that. And when you start to investigate, you get to know like what's really going on here. So say, I often feel alone. When I'm reading these stories and I'm sitting alone in my apartment, I'm like, oh my god, this is hopeless. I'm so alone, no one else cares, what's the point? And then it comes, well, what am I believing about myself? Well, that I'm powerless, that I can't make a difference, that it doesn't matter. And that feels not great. You know, it's unpleasant. It hurts. But then comes in nurture, and you start to get to know yourself even more when you ask, like, well, what is this part of me needing? What does it need to hear? And a safe bet for me when I really don't even know is just, I'm so sorry. This is so hard. Like, just recognizing that to have our views, to be on the fringes of, of allowable thought, it can be really lonely and it can be really difficult. It does feel good to feel like, okay, we have a little bit better perception of what's going on, but it's still very difficult. Another one is like, well, if I'm alone, it's a good reminder to remember I'm actually not. There are a lot of people who feel this way. So that's just a little taste of it. I invite you to, it's called Rain for Difficult Emotions. If you just search that with Tara Brock, you'll find it. And you can apply it to her personally if you can apply it to politics, but that's very useful for me, and it's a great breakdown of just the basics of feeling your feelings. But that brings me to something else I want to mention, which is we're talking a lot about the government. We're talking a lot about statism and all the harm it causes. And I don't want to discount that, because people working for the government ruin people's lives. Either destroy them, rob them, kill their family. I'm angry. Kill their families, like kill them. Like There's a lot of suffering that originates with government, 
but it's also not the only or the primary cause. And I have a great example. I think it's a great example of this. And I want to apologize because I can't remember the person who did the podcast. It's either Jack Kornfield or John Kabat-Zinn. But I listened to a podcast, and he had worked with veterans. I think it was veterans of the Middle Eastern Wars, and they were traumatized from combat. But what he learned from working with them and really getting to know them was that they were traumatized long before they joined the military. Military. It seemed like they tended to grow up in families where they felt powerless. They had no agency. And it turned out that joining the military for them was an attempt to ameliorate those feelings, to take control of their lives, to have power, to not feel weak. And they ended up more traumatized. But this is also the case, I think, for a lot of activists. A lot of us grow up in homes where we don't feel heard, or we feel powerless, or there's a sense of injustice. And as adults, we feel very called to speak out about it. And it's a way of like taking care of that inner child who didn't feel heard and who felt they had no power. But the reason I brought this up is that it's not just the state. And as someone who doesn't even believe in the authority of government, to me it seems a little silly to focus all my attention on my feelings about the government. Like there's so much more to the world and being a human being and experiencing this life that it really matters to me to take a more holistic approach. I should have had more water before I started speaking. I'm sorry for my cracking voice. And it can be really simple. Like it doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to sit down and do rain every day and I have to really feel my feelings and get them out there and be conscious. Like, that's not, that's not the vibe. Like, it can be something as simple as just start noticing when you disconnect. It could be going on your phone. It could be binge eating. It could be binge watching shows. Oh, thank you. I'm like cracking over here. Wonderful, thank you. And all you have to do is just notice it. Feel what's going on in your body. What do I feel like? And usually there's something there. There's some activity somewhere in your body, somewhere in your emotional body. And being able to disengage takes us out of our attention to that. So all you have to do is notice, take a breath, feel what prompted you to want to disconnect in the first place, and move on. And you might do this a thousand times a day. It's really hard. I find myself doing it all the time and also not doing it, where I'm like, oh, I can't do that. I don't, I don't want to deal with this. Disconnect, disconnect, disconnect. But the more you practice it, the more it becomes second nature. And it may only happen, maybe you do it three times a day, when in fact you're checking out a thousand times a day. But that's a start, and it really makes a difference. And you get to know yourself better. Because as easy it is as it is to blame the ruling class, and it's fair, like it's, they deserve a lot of criticism. And the reactivity is warranted, that's not it. That's not the only source of our suffering. And I think if we deny that, I'm not saying anyone's denying this, but I think if we do deny it, we're never gonna have the solutions we want because we're gonna be caught in the reactivity of our personal experience and the political experience. So to stress again, and like I mentioned with toxic positivity, the point is not to let go of the difficult emotions, but to create containers within ourselves to feel them so that we're not just barfing them back out into the internet and into people we know. Because I strongly believe it's not the anger or the fear or the rage. That's not what really causes the problems in the world. It's the inability to sit with them. And so we lash out and we demand that somebody else take care of our feelings. And again, not, not us necessarily because we're not really doing that. But we still disconnect, we're still suffering, and this is really hard work to do. Like, previous generations didn't learn these skills. Like, my grandparents had no idea how to sit with their feelings. I'm still barely learning, I've been doing this for years. Like, it's very difficult, but it is possible. And I wanna mention something else, because when I have mentioned this, like, I don't talk about this very often, it's a very personal practice for me, but when I have, like, if I'm on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I almost invariably get a reply 
of like, yeah, right, I'm not going to have compassion. Yeah, right, I'm not going to empathize with these evil people or the people who want to control me or the idiots who fall for their narratives. That's submitting. I'm not going to submit. Absolutely not. And I feel that that is a false dichotomy because there's a lot of reason to be angry at, let's say, police, politicians, partisan opponents. But chances are that if you empathize with them, if you look at their childhood experiences, like I don't think Hillary Clinton had a good childhood, you know? Like I don't think she grew up in like a loving, safe, supported home, probably not, you know, right? Like, and cops, like the abuse of cops, of course some are sociopaths, but some are probably deeply traumatized. And I can be as loud as I want criticizing that and rejecting their authority and saying they need to be held accountable. And I can acknowledge that there's probably an understandable reason why they, why they are the way they are. So we can know what our boundaries are. We can stand by them. We can be firm. We can absolutely not comply. We can criticize it as much as the powers that be on the internet will let us until they ban us. And then we make another account and we just keep going and going and going. But, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> yeah, we can empathize. That's, that's pretty much the point. And forget about the other people. Like if you don't think that that cop deserves empathy or Hillary Clinton deserves empathy, that is a hard one. Like, let's be honest. It's not about them. This is for you. Because coming back to what I've been talking about, this reactivity and this anger and this being caught, like, no, they're not inherently bad, but when they run the show and when we're gripped to them and we identify with them, we're not free. So it's a practice in, in building your own freedom. And I want to come to one other misnomer, which I highly doubt this is like the mentality of people here, but if it is, that's fine. It's all welcome. But especially like, like the Ben Shapiro's, you know, the like facts don't care about your feelings and the problem with liberals is they're just so emotional and you're a snowflake and this and that. And like, meanwhile, they're melting down over culture wars and like, they're actually very emotional and reactive. They're just not able to connect with it. But it's actually, I, I very much disagree. It is difficult to feel your feelings. It's so hard. It's such a difficult practice. It's hard to be with the pain and the suffering, whether from of the world or in our families or what we've experienced in our lives. But as we cultivate this ability to hold space, we build the compassion and the consciousness that's required to evolve toward a truly free existence. And it's gonna be over generations, right? Like I don't think that if we all just like listen to Tara Brock, then tomorrow we'll have no government and we'll be free and everyone will be in peace and utopia, but it is essential. Whatever the source of our suffering, like I said, political or personal, the end result is the same when we take the time and we cultivate the ability to consciously feel our feelings and that's more peace and more empathy and more love. And to me, this is the antithesis of statism because the state thrives and relies on our anger and our rage and our fear and our reactivity and our disconnection from ourselves. That's perfect. <laughs> and maybe we're not calling for more government, but we are putting out that energy. When we're this angry, and again, like it's valid to be angry. I don't want anyone to leave this talk thinking that I think that you need to not feel these feelings or they're not valid or they're bad and you need to get rid of them. They are valid. But when we don't have a container to feel them and we put them back out into the world, and that's an energy that matches the people we disagree with, the people we think are causing the problem. And again, I don't want to demonize how they feel. I'm sure if you ask the average Trump supporter or Biden supporter about their life, you're going to find an emotional current there that reinforces their support for them. And of course, there's the indoctrination, there's the educational system that leads people to believe in these systems, but it's also very much driven by the emotions, the unfelt emotions. So rather, the point is to just start getting curious. I'm going to read this because it's a bit wordy. Get curious about how we can change the emotional landscape of human existence to support the evolution of cognitive consciousness, starting and ending with ourselves and those around us. And this has ripple effects. 
because we aren't really taught self-compassion. We aren't taught how to be kind to ourselves and accept ourselves. We usually learn the opposite. So if we can cultivate this ability, we can have more compassion for others. We can empathize with other people, whether they disagree with us or not. That's not really the point. The point is to build this quality of compassion. And when you combine that, like the, the ability to feel your feelings and have compassion and feel love and all, all the good things we're talking about, when you combine that with this evolution of consciousness away from statism and the belief in authority and all the wonderful practical solutions you're gonna hear about at this conference, when you have these three things, and I'm sure many more that I'm not even thinking about, but when you have at least these three elements, that is a path forward. That is changing the paradigm in such a profound way. Because we can, without the heart and spirit, yes, we can have the material solutions. We can have the rational evolution of thought away from statism. But if we're so gripped in these reactive emotions, and we're still putting that back out there, it's inevitable. Like, I think Derek Schert says, a revolution without healing is a recipe for disaster. Is that, that's it, right? Yeah, it matters. But I want to also acknowledge by the same token, if we just do the heart and spirit, and we don't focus on the practical solutions, and we don't focus on the cognitive evolution away from statism, well, that's like burying your head in the sand. And I'm from Los Angeles. It reminds me of the yoga teachers in LA who are like very compassionate and they mean very well, but they're still going out and voting for Joe Biden and thinking that that's the compassionate solution, right? It's funny and like, I, it is it's very funny and it's very frustrating, but it's, that's like the good intention of heart and spirit and compassion being thrown to waste because we don't focus on the other solutions. And if all of this just sounds ridiculous to you, like, oh my God, this is stupid. This is not gonna have any long-term effect. I think it will. But if you disagree, that is fine. So I will just appeal to you to consider yourself. This is for you, for no one else. Forget about forgiving the status and forgiving the cops and forgiving all the people who perpetrate these offenses and injustices. This is for you because as I've been saying, when you live in that reactivity and you live in the anger and your, your emotions really are dependent on the system, like you're reacting to what the system does, you're not free. So this is for your own heart, your own spirit. At least it's been for me. And with that, I just want to come to some resources. I think, there we go. So I've already mentioned Tara Brock. She's wonderful. You can just search her. She has books, podcasts, meditations. And like I said, it's a good practice in the compassion and empathy because there are some things where I'm like, oh, don't know if we're going to talk about voting again. Like, and she, that's the thing. Like, she means really well. To her, that is the solution. That is compassion. Robert Strzok, he's much lesser known. He's on YouTube. He has incredible meditations about getting into your feelings with compassion and presence and they're very relatable, they're very short meditations, very helpful. I'm sure a lot of you know who Ram Dass is, that's just a general, like, listen to Ram Dass, he has podcasts on SoundCloud, and he's such a good guide for just being with what is and being present. There's Watiko by Paul Levy, which I haven't actually read, but from what I know about it, I think it, it's very much adjacent to what I'm talking about and the result of what happens when we are disconnected from ourselves. There's When Things Fall Apart by Pema Chodron, I could be saying that wrong, she's a Buddhist monk. Very relatable, very simple, basic, to the point articulations of feeling your feelings and being present. The body keeps the score. I'm sure you guys have heard of that, some of you. That's a more like scientific, biological approach to what happens in our bodies when we are unable to be with trauma and to be with difficult emotions. That one's very helpful. Block therapy. This is actually a physical practice, and it is one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It's like a bamboo block, and there are classes online. You can look it up but it gets deep into your fascia. And what I find is that when I'm in my ribs, I'm in my heart, like there's like the most intense pain I've ever felt in my life, but it's not just physical. I am feeling like the emotions that have been interwoven into my body as I've been gripped throughout my life. 
highly recommend block therapy. Then there's yoga, especially yin and restorative. Uh, I don't have to explain those. You can look them up. They're, it's, again, getting back into your body and being present, focusing on your breath, getting comfortable with feeling what is, even if it's really unpleasant and it sucks. And then just a couple free meditation apps, Insight Timer and Plum Village. There's all kinds of meditations on there. You can see what feels right to you. Maybe you'll hate all of it. That's fine, too. But there's a lot of different options, and you can see how it resonates, and that's all I got. Thank you for having me. <laughs> In 2020, as the World Economic Forum announced their vision of a great reset for humanity, the Freedom Saw Network responded by launching The Greater Reset, a five-day worldwide activation focused on inspiring the people of the world to build an alternative vision for 2030 and beyond. Our vision is one that respects individual liberty, decentralization, localization, and people-powered solutions over technocratic control. Our first activation launched in January 2021 as hundreds gathered in Texas and Mexico and thousands tuned in online at the height of lockdowns. The Freedom Cell Network gathered once again in May 2021 for the Greater Reset expansion as we broaden the horizons of our movement. In January 2022 and January 2023, we returned with integration and co-creation, rooting ourselves deeper by integrating the vast knowledge being shared and setting our intentions on co-creating the 2030 of our dreams. Now, the Freedom Cell Network once again presents the Greater Reset 5 Manifestation in Morelia, Mexico from January 17th through the 21st, 2024. Join us for five days of community, solutions, celebration, music, education, and liberation. The Greater Reset 5 will include more than 40 top-notch speakers from around the world, live music from our conscious community, hands-on workshops, kids and family activities, and whatever else you can dream of. Join us in Morelia in January 2024 so we can collaborate and build the parallel systems of the future. Join us for the next evolution of the Greater Reset Activation. Join us for the People's Resets. Visit thegreaterreset.org to learn more.